continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. Thank you, Graham, for giving me such verses. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. Yeah. Um, so let's let's dive in straight away, and let's start with the first word: children. Uh, it's the traditional view that it was indeed the Apostle John that wrote the three epistles. Um, uh, as well as the gospel according to John. Um, and it's interesting to hear him speak as he does to the church, calling them beloved and calling them children. And he greets them here as children. And it reminds me, it makes me think of how I should come to the apostles' teaching. It makes me think about I should come to the, the word of God. Not, not as, a, as a brainiac thinking who knows it all, not as someone who just wants to learn some knowledge, but someone who wants to be nurtured by the word of God, who wants to be nurtured by the writings of the apostles. We have the infallible word of God in front of us in our Bibles, and we come to it as children. We come to it as children who want to be nurtured, who want to be grown, who with the Holy Spirit inside of us want to be convicted by the eternal word of God. And I'm afraid after this word, we end the niceties. Uh, So he goes on to say, it is the last hour. And then he backs this up with some proof saying uh, that the Antichrist has come, or it was coming, and that many Antichrists already have come. Therefore, it must be the last hour. Now, scholars reckon that 1 John was written around AD 90. Um, you know, there's, there's always a bit of disparity, but the, most, most scholars tend to think around AD 90. And uh, there have been a few hours since AD 90. So when John says it's the last hour, we're now almost 2,000 years in the future. So what's he on about? What does he mean? Well, I'm going to put forward three possible interpretations of what John is saying and then refute as I feel necessary. So number one, John predicted the end of the world just a little bit too soon. Just within the last hundred years, we have heard endless predictions about the end of the world from various preachers of often causing rather disastrous effects for those who've believed in such predictions. Uh, We believe, however, that the word of God is God-breathed, that is is infallible, that God has written every single word in the Bible. Therefore, if John declares to the church that we are in fact in the last hour, then we are in the last hour. So I don't think John got it wrong. Number two is that John is speaking about the last days of the Old Covenant. Uh, It sounds odd at at first, but this is quite a popular view um, that a lot of old, uh, lots of end time predictions are in fact talking about the last days of the Old Covenant, uh, especially with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70. AD 70 Um, 
Unfortunately, as I said before, scholars reckon that the book of John was written around 90 AD, a good 20 years after the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, which kind of doesn't make any sense for it to mean that. But then also, um, they believe that the Old Covenant finished symbolically with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 90 AD. However, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant finishes with the life, death and resurrection of Christ. He then, he fulfills the law. He then ends the Old Covenant and makes a new covenant with God in which we can enter into him. We can be hidden in him and therefore appear righteous because we are not clothed in our own righteousness but are clothed in Christ's the last uh, idea, the last interpretation and certainly the most compelling is that he's right, we are in the last hour and we still are apart from the return of Christ and the day of judgment, the new heaven and the new earth the great story of redemption from God's first word in Genesis to Christ's death and resurrection. We are in its last hour. We are in the last hour of the story of redemption. We are eagerly awaiting the coming of Christ who will come like a thief in the night. We eagerly await the day of judgment and the new heaven and the earth. We are in the last days. We are in the last hour of this glorious story. And it is this interpretation, although the most simple and potentially the most literal, that I believe John is portraying. Matthew twenty-two forty-two to 44 says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And finally, Matthew twenty four thirty six says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels, nor heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So we are in the last hour. And Christ's return, where he shall judge both the living and the dead, is upon us. Now, uh, I'm not going to go into any other kind of eschatology or a study of the end times right now. The subject is slightly too vast for 30 minutes on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, but John tells us we are in the last hour. And I guess this begs the question, are we ready? Are you ready? Am I ready? Are you ready for Christ's return, be it this second or at the very end of our lives, or even at the very end of our children's lives, or our children's children's lives. Are, are we ready? Are you ready? I'll be honest, 
I have questions about whether I am. And that, that convicts me, that hits me. Are we ready for Christ's return? And what does being ready look like? Well, if you follow us on Instagram or if you've been listening to some of our preachers, you might have come across the phrase Coram Deo. Uh, Graham loves putting it on our Instagram page, subtle hint for shout out for our Instagram page. Uh, but Coram Deo is, is a Latin phrase which translates in the presence of God. And it summarises this, this idea that we are Christians living in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the honour and the glory of God. It is the Christian life. It is being assured of our salvation. It is going on a journey of our salvation. It is putting off the old self, uh, putting off the old flesh and accepting uh, what God wants for us, what he intends for us. It is hiding ourselves in Christ, wearing his righteousness, not our own. It is living our lives to the glory of God, not as our own lives, but as his. And uh, I thought I'd add this. What does it not mean? What does it not mean to be ready for Christ to return? Uh, in the early 70s, there was a guy called Hal Lindsey who wrote a very interesting book called The Late Great Planet Earth, uh, in which he, upon reading uh, current affairs, decided that those current affairs matched up with some of the signs that he read in Revelation. And he predicted uh, the coming of Christ in the mid-80s. He'd seen what was happening with the Cold War and the potential for nuclear war and decided that this was the end. Uh, he, it was a New York Times bestseller, this book. There was a movie about it. Um, and many people followed his teachings that, the, that Christ was about to return, that the rapture was going to happen, etc., etc. And uh, many people were very sold out for this idea that Christ was going to return and they neglected doing some more sensible things. Uh, for example, there were quite a few people that didn't bother saving, they didn't bother buying a house, they didn't bother focusing on education or trying to find a career because they thought they were of none importance because Christ was coming back. Uh, unfortunately for the more naive amongst them, Christ did not return that day and they were stuck without any savings, without the house, without education, etc. And while we eagerly look forward to the return of Christ, while we know that he is coming and we are in the last hour, we do not know when he's coming and we still need to be good stewards of our lives, of our marriages, of our bank accounts, etc etc and while these things don't equate to salvation they are still important for the christian and we still need to be good stewards of what we have been given we do not know when christ shall return but we know that he shall and we should be ready for him what a glorious day that shall be right moving on from the one hard topic we're now going to dive into the antichrist 
So let's talk about the Antichrist. And uh, before we do, let's try and get out of our head all the terrible horror movies that we watched when we were teenagers that bear no resemblance to what the Bible's actually talking about. Um, so it says, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. In Second Thessalonians, it speaks of a man of lawlessness who will set himself up in God's temple and proclaim him to be God. In Revelation 13, it tells us of a coming beast who will wear out the saints of God and be known by the number 666. The, epistle of, the epistles of John warn of Antichrist. So, who are these people? Or are they the same person? There are so many interpretations of who or what Antichrist is. Again, for the sake of our Sunday afternoons. Uh, and for actually the context of these verses, I'm not going to go through them all. The intention of these verses, and in fact the whole of John's first epistle, as we have just watched in the Bible Project video, is not about eschatology or the study of of the end times but it's about the gospel it's about unity and it's about false teaching and false teachers in the first chapter of the epistle john outlines the authentic true gospel and warns of heresy that's coming into the churches that he oversees in particular um, in the form of gnosticism which you might have heard about us talking in the last couple of weeks. The word antichrist literally translates as being anti or against Christ. In verses 22 of the same chapter, John tells us, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, the one that denies the Father and the Son. John refers to both Antichrist, who is coming, and many Antichrists who have already come. Did John intend for us to envision some particular person as the Antichrist, along with the man of lawlessness and the beast? Or did he mean that any self-conscious opponent of faith is an Antichrist? Or maybe both? I think one thing that we can be sure of, though, is that there will always be political beasts and there will always be false teachers or antichrists who seek to oppose the truth and therefore we must always be on guard against them. Uh, and we'll move on to the second verse that we're looking at today. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they, have, they would continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all not of us. Truth will out. So, how do we spot these false teachers or antichrists, as John refers to them? Number one, this is how we, we identify them. By comparing their teachings to the true, authentic, simple gospel. J John has already outlined this in the first 
chapter of his epistle. We must cherish the word of God. We must study the word of God. We must embrace, we must come like children to the word of God and let it nourish us and nurture us. It is a lamp unto our feet and it is how we learn about our great God. We must be students of the word. It's interesting that John speaks about it being the last hour. As we've already said, apart from the coming of Christ and the new heaven and the new earth that he refers to later, the story of salvation has happened. We are in this last section, or sometimes referred to as dispensation of time. And it is the last hour of the great story of redemption before the new heaven and the new earth, before our glorification, before we spend eternity with God, glorifying him, singing holy, holy, holy. So it is the last hour. And and John says as well earlier in the same chapter that he adds no new message to the gospel. He says, I bring no new commandment, but then goes to repeat the commandments of Christ. Uh, And we must be wary of the same thing. We must be wary of new revelation. We believe in the sufficiency of scripture. We believe that everything that we need for the Christian life can be found in the glorious pages of the Bible. We also believe in prophecy and we believe that God speaks to our lives prophetically. But we believe that everything that we need for our lives can also be found in scripture. We must hold on to the true gospel and run from any teaching that denies Christ, Jesus, as being the Messiah, the Lord of all. And the second thing that we can do to spot these false teachers or antichrists is about them staying amongst us. So I believe that it is God who sustains our faith. It is him that carries us through. And it is him and us only being hidden in Christ who does good work through us. As as Hebrews 12 says, we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. False truth, however, will be shaken and it will crumble. We believe that the Christian life is sustained by God. Coram Deo, the Christian life, is sustained by life, by God. And he sustains us and takes us through this wonderful journey of sanctification where we are putting off the old flesh, we are putting off the old self, and Christ does good works through us. The false teacher, however, will not be sustained by God. He will leave, unfortunately. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-eight says, "The Lord, for the Lord loves justice; for He will not forsake His saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off." And Psalms fifty-five twenty-two says. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. The false teacher 
who rejects Christ as the Messiah is not sustained by God and therefore will be shaken. So, let's recap. What have we learnt? We've learnt, number one, that it is the last hour. Uh, and that we eagerly await the return of Christ. We are assured of our salvation and we eagerly await the return of Christ. Number two, that there are those who want to pervert the gospel. There are these antichrists, those who are against the teaching of Christ and the, the deity of Christ and the fact that he is our Messiah. They want to pervert it. They want to corrupt it. They want to tear apart the Christian gospel. This wonderful salvation that we have. And number three, that God sustains his believers. God sustains his people and that he won't sustain those that are against him. I want to finish uh, now with two scriptures uh, and then I'll hand back over to Graham or oh, no no I'm going to hand over to my wife uh, and we're going to finish in a bit of worship so I'll finish with these two bible verses uh, the first one is at the the end of this chapter in John where it says and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And the other is this from Hebrews, it's verses 26 to 29. And at, the, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may re remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Will you have confidence on that day? So Father, we thank you that you are coming, or Christ, you are coming to judge the living and the dead. And that day will be glorious. There will be a great shaking. But I thank you that we do belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That you are a consuming fire that we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And Father, we pray that you would lead us in this life to glorify you. As we were speaking about Coram uh, Deo, that we would live lives that are sustained by you, that glorify you. Amen. Amen. Okay. Lovely. So we're going to just end with um, a song.